This week in the, in the story, we were going through as a church, where we're reading through the whole Bible, uh, seeing, seeing the big picture. Randy Frizee, the guy that kind of created this curriculum, uh, he talked about something very interesting. He talked about what were the techniques of Jesus when he, when he, when he taught. I wanted to share this with you in case you don't see it, in case you don't get to small group, uh, because when you see the different ways Jesus communicated in, in the Gospels, then you can hear him more clearly in your everyday life as well. Because you think, well, Jesus continues to live in me by his spirit and in my church. And he's continuing to teach and move and, and preach and teach in the similar ways. So the, fir the first method of Jesus' teaching was by teaching through parables. Like the parable of the soils in Mark 4, talking about different types of soil. And Jesus would tell stories about familiar everyday objects like uh, many times agriculture related like a far farm related uh, imagery and animal related imagery and he would teach using these motifs because that stuff was familiar to his audience they were an agrarian society but really if you think about it god god is just amazingly smart because to this day we understand these things for the most part because we still have Farming, we still have animals. It's accessible to us as well. You know, we, we visited a modern farm at, during Maple Weekend near Vermont, and, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed in farming, a lot of new machines and different things, but a lot of it is fundamentally the same old thing, taking care of crops and animals, and it's something we can understand. So Jesus' parables, even though they're from 2,000 years ago, they are not lost on us as modern people. It's amazing how wise God was to choose those images. He knew that for generations we'd get it. We'd get this. And Jesus comments that the meaning of his parables is hidden from people who are not invested in his kingdom, which we're going to talk about a little later. But for those who are invested in Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus shares the meaning with those people every time. So there's nothing, there's no exclusivity with Jesus. It's just if you're not really interested, you're not actually invested in him or his kingdom, you're just not going to get the good stuff. And so he taught in parables. Jesus' second technique for, technique for teaching was as direct as it could possibly be. And we went through uh, ser Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of 2021. And we had 17 sermons from Matthew 5 to 7. I encourage you to go back to that and or go back to it in the Word. But Jesus is very, very direct in the Sermon on the Mount, in my opinion. He's not speaking in, in parables. He's not speaking in code. <coughs> uh, He's teaching very directly about topics that we cannot relate to, like forgiveness. It's a joke. We can all relate to that. Adultery, hatred, love for enemies, giving, prayer, dealing with anxiety. And he just taught really clearly on these topics. And that's just a few of the topics he addresses. Our district superintendent, Dave Lynn, has shared, was shared a couple times, I've heard him share this, he has four rules for biblical interpretation. Rule number one, stick with the text. Rule number two, stick with the text. Rule number three, the most straightforward meaning is usually the correct meaning of the text, even if it makes it more difficult to apply or makes it feel less acceptable to the world around us. And number four, stick with the text. It's pretty good. If you know him, you know that he's a, he, he understands context and all that stuff, but you know, the most straightforward meaning is usually what it means. When it says, you know, do not commit adultery, it mean, it's not like an, uh, <laughs> it's not an abstract idea. 
you know. So that's what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is like. It's just very direct. It says what it says, and it says it very plainly. And like the disciples who heard Jesus originally, we hear him say these things, and we say, wow, that's a hard teaching. And then we, we receive grace from God to be transformed into those people that he's calling us to be. So parables, direct teaching. And here's another one. Jesus teaches, and this is very relatable to us, through experiences that he curated with his disciples. And I'd like to say that the things that are going on in your life right now, now I, I've had two friends in the last two weeks, that have bro- or three friends, that have broken bones. Like that's a really tough thing to deal with after the lockdown and right before the summer or when you're trying to get stuff done in your life that's important to you. That happens. You know, there's people that deal, uh, deal with, uh, with death and tragedy and all kinds of, or, or even good things like job promotions. We've heard about those in faith stories. Uh, new homes and houses that they've gotten. But Jesus is curating experiences to speak to you. He's speaking to your life. And with the disciples, uh, we see him feeding the 5,000 in the beginning of Matthew 14, which we'll touch on later. And also later in Matthew 14, Jesus sends his disciples out in a boat, and he goes to spend time with the Father, and then he walks out on the water to them. Very famous story. And the disciples think he's a ghost. But then they recognize, oh, it's Jesus. It's the teacher. And Peter asks Jesus if he can come out to him on the water. And Jesus invites him to step out of the boat and come to him. But when Peter saw the waves, he was afraid and began to sink. So Jesus reached out and saved him. This is a teaching through experience. And this is one of the major ways God speaks to us today, through the experiences of our lives. And the the meaning of this story is very easy to apply. If you want to walk on water or step out in faith, you need to concentrate on walking towards Jesus and keeping your eyes on Jesus and not on the waves that are crashing around you. Because if you focus on the things that are crashing around you, you will begin to sink. And the great comfort is, Jesus does not condemn you for sinking. He grabs onto you and saves you anyway. God is awesome. I like how Rob Reamer says, even when our faith is very wobbly, wobbly, um, Jesus is gracious to us. One thing I noticed this past week in thinking of Jesus' three methods of teaching was that when he taught through parables or through experiences, not through direct teaching, but through parables and experiences, he required a certain commitment from his disciples and listeners beyond what is required in those direct teachings. They needed to ask more questions. They needed to wait around longer until the larger crowds subsided. And um, for those who tried to understand and ask the good questions, Jesus would share the good stuff. He shared the interpretations. And again, this was a, it sounds like an exclusive thing, like secret knowledge, but no, it's, this is available to anybody, but, the key, but you have to ask questions you have to wait around, and you have to um, wait on the Lord to, to show you it. For instance, in Mark 4, Jesus' Jesus's disciples did not understand the parable of the soils. When Jesus shared it with the crowd, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And these disciples had to commit to waiting for the crowd to disperse, which took a very long time, and to sticking with Jesus long enough so they were around the campfire with Jesus. They needed to ask more questions. They needed to uh, 
to receive it, to have it be demystified and to have it plainly said to them. And for those people who make the extra effort to hear from God, he shares that stuff with them. But it takes sticking around long enough and asking the right questions and not giving up when times are hard. You know, we, we have something very difficult happen to us, as was mentioned earlier, you know, different things that can happen to us, and we, we give up on Jesus. We give up on hearing from him. We don't wait around for him to speak to us and to give us the good stuff. But God, God says, you know, this happened. Your plans are hijacked. Um, something unexpected has come in your path, whatever it might be. Stick with me. Stick with me, and I'll give you the good stuff. I'll speak to you. We have to commit to waiting on him. This is why it says in Mark 4.10, when he was alone, the 12, the 12 disciples and others around him, there were other people that also waited on him, they asked him about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? And he went on to explain this parable in a very direct way. It's not that Jesus will only share his meanings and his parables with an elite few. He's not exclusive. But some of his teachings, he requires a greater commitment in order for people to receive that teaching, to go deeper. And this includes you and I. When we throw up our hands and give up on Jesus, when life gets tough, we miss out. In other words, you know, when, when we don't understand something that Jesus is saying to us or, or a circumstance, uh, we need to wait until the crowd dwindles down and ask him and keep on seeking him until we get a clear answer, whether that be, trust me, or whether that be, here's something very specific I'm dealing with you, right? When he says, trust me, it usually accompanies a piece that surpasses understanding, so you don't even feel as strongly about needing an answer as you did before. That's been my experience. The same level of commitment that he required of his disciples to get those teachings um, is the same level of commitment we need to have when we're coming to Jesus. When we don't understand why things have gone the way they've gone, we need to hang out long enough to hear Jesus' lessons and to share our questions. Even if they seem like they're not very smart questions, we need to ask those questions or we're going to miss out. Deeper levels of discipleship require deeper commitment to Jesus. And just sticking around, um, <laughs> something as simple as just not giving up on Jesus and keeping the line of communication open is, is enough. So with that in mind, you know, there's, there's so much material to choose from this week. I, I, I implore you, in your small groups, read the whole reading. All these teachings of Christ, they're incredible. But uh, I, I, I prayed, and I read over these readings, and I have three quick lessons that I pulled from these readings that I want to share with you today. And I think this is exactly what God had planned for our Sunday morning. Um, just, just three short lessons. The lessons are these. Number one, simply bring things to Jesus' atten attention. He knows about it, but bring, but bring up things to Jesus. Two, prioritize Jesus' kingdom. And three, take heart, because God is a builder and a rebuilder. A planter and a replanter. So John 6, 
I go through these. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? What kind of teaching do you think Jesus is doing right now? Like experience, experiential teaching. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five smarly, five smarly loaves, five small barley loaves, and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they all sat down. About 5,000 men, plus women and children, were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they, what they intended to do, was to come and make him king by force. So he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here, here is Jesus teaching his disciples through a curated experience, much like he does in our lives, but very obviously, right? Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. John emphasizes how Jesus is God, and you know he has that foreknowledge. He had in mind what he was going to do before he interacted with his disciples. But he decided this was a teachable moment for Philip and Andrew. It's really kind of funny, you know. Jesus, the master rabbi, he turns to his disciples. Talk about a reversal. He turns to Philip and says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And immediately, which is exactly what would happen with us, you know, he started to calculate the cost of buying that much bread. And Philip doesn't know what to do. He has no idea, which we can see in his reply. It says, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have one bite. Philip does not know what to do in response to Jesus' question. No idea. Another disciple, Andrew, overhears. This is Simon Peter's brother. He'd been listening in, and he speaks up and says, I found a boy with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. I think he kind of knows he's grasping at straws a little bit, although maybe there is some kind of faith in him. I'm not sure. So after sharing this boy's food, Andrew asks, but how far will they go among so many? He could not answer the question Jesus asked either. Philip and Andrew did not know what they were doing. And it was then, at that moment, when Jesus teaches Philip and Andrew a spiritual lesson, while at the same time miraculously providing from these few loaves and a couple fish a meal for probably 10,000 plus people with leftovers in baskets afterwards. It's an amazing sign. And what we learn from this story is Philip didn't know what to do. Andrew didn't know what to do. But simply bringing the problem to Jesus' attention, along with the inadequate amount of bread and fish, it allowed a miraculous and creative solution to come through Christ. 
All they had to do was bring it to his attention. And when we're faced with problems and issues in our lives, maybe we have limited resources as well, now we are taught to just bring these things up to God because he cares. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Bring it to Jesus' attention. See what he does. He asked the question and they had no idea what the answer was. But just bringing it up, that's a good lesson. Bring it to Jesus' attention. But it's something we forget to do. We forget to do that. The second is prioritizing Jesus' kingdom work. We've seen that in order to understand Jesus' parables or his lessons, we have to stick around long enough to hear from Jesus. And too many times, Jesus is trying to teach us something through our life, and we're having a hard time figuring it out, and we give up on Christ because we lack commitment to his kingdom and his work that he's doing. You know, we just, we're not committed to going to the end. But in order to hear from Jesus through our lives, through our questions, we need to stick around until it's just us and him. I'm going to read Mark 4, just a few verses in Mark. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants, with such branches that birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. As I said, there's certain things that Jesus teaches that you will only receive if you have really prioritized Jesus and getting those answers from him. Holding on until you get those answers. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 4, 24. Consider carefully what you hear. He who, with the measure you use, will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. In verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Consider carefully how you hear. With the measure that you use, he's talking about hearing, right? With the measure of hearing that you use, that's what you're going to receive. The word for, for measure is, you know, your standard of measure. So if your standard of listening to Christ is, is low, then you are going to have a low amount of hearing from Christ. And um, li the, the word listen in Greek means to attend to, to consider what is or has been said, to understand 
to perceive the sense of what it said. You know, this same, the same standard that we use to listen to Jesus will determine what we get out of his teaching. It's a very simple lesson. This is a call to stick around and listen up like no other area in your life. When Jesus is speaking, we need to attend to those words. We need to consider what, what has been said, to understand, and to perceive the sense of what he's saying. Because the measure that we use in our listening is what we're going to get in return. We can either have a shallow listening or we can have a deep listening. We can either hear amazing lessons from God or we can have a shallow experience because we don't really go for it. The person who has a high standard of listening to Jesus will receive more, but for those who do not consider his words carefully and do not listen very well, even what they think they know will be taken from them or will just be lost or will just be shallow. So having a lot of questions is not a, not a sign of a lack of faith. That's a sign that you're listening and you care and you want the answers. You're trying to get them. You hold on to Christ till he gives them to you. Sticking around until we get the answers we need. So we are called as Jesus' followers to attend to his words carefully and to stick around with Jesus, asking questions and getting them answered, doing whatever we need to do. So we are to bring our, bring our questions to Jesus and prioritize Jesus' kingdom. And finally, we are encouraged that God is a builder and a rebuilder. In Mark 4, 26, it says, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, a seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the kernel and the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches, the birds can perch in its shade. The kingdom of God is something very small that grows into something very big, both in the in believer and also in the world. And Zechariah 4 reminds us, do not despise these small beginnings. Do not look down on these small beginnings. Says the Lord rejoices to see the work begin in you. So all of these things we're talking about, the teachings of the kingdom that we receive from Jesus, you know, prioritizing his kingdom, listening attentively, listening carefully, the, the gains might seem small and imperceptible. But as we attend to Jesus' words and hear from him, it's going to grow into something way bigger than we ever thought it could be. Because God is constantly planting seeds and then replanting, building and rebuilding. And there's grace enough for every Christian believer the person that's, that's uh, neglected Jesus for a long time or the person that decides they're going to start following Jesus now, today. You know, the grace is there for all of us. And God's kingdom will grow from microscopic to the largest shade trees in the known world. And this is the, the blessing of the nations like God promised to Abraham, you know, that the birds of the air might find their shade in that tree. So do not despise the small beginnings in your own life or the small beginnings in this fellowship church, um, in the lives of your family and friends. If we bring our questions and our problems to Jesus' attention, like Philip and Andrew did, if we prioritize Jesus' kingdom so that we listen more carefully to Jesus than we do to anything else, if we hold on to Jesus in the midst of uncertainty and wait on him to teach us his lessons through our lives, then we will be a part of Jesus' kingdom come on earth. 
The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. Then our prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will be answered. When I'm talking about Jesus in these last few weeks, in the coming weeks, I'm talking about him in the present tense because Jesus Christ is living and active in the world today. Um, the spirit of Christ dwells within each of us and dwells within the church. So the very ways he taught and preached and led, he's still teaching, preaching, and leading. So Jesus is speaking to us. He's growing us. No matter how small it might seem, everyone and everything matters. So I say, let's listen to Christ's words like we've listened to nothing before, because in those words is life and growth and health and all the things we're looking for uh, is in Christ. By God's grace, we own this building, so hang out in fellowship as long as you like to. Get to know one another, but I want to bless you. I bless you to a deeper relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you that you might have a relationship with God. Pray that you would draw near to him this week. Hear his words as if they, you're hearing them for the first time. Hear his voice echoing through the corridors of your life and everything you're going through. May you have this intimacy with the Father that Jesus shared with the Father. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.